Welcome back, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Heavy Branches podcast. We're so glad and thankful that you're joining us today. Uh, normally, we start with the how is your week section, but um, I already know how your week is because we just got done recording the last podcast episode. Yep. Um, so we're not going to do the how is your week today. The reason we're recording two episodes today is because uh, Tanner is going to be on his honeymoon in what, next week? Next two weeks from now? Two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks from now. From the day of recording. From the time they're hearing this, I'll most likely, by the time they hear this, I'll be married Ooh. and we'll be heading or already in Florida. So heading you'll, or you'll be Florida. doing a lot more exciting things than recording this podcast with me, so that's why we're working ahead a little bit. That way we don't miss a week, so uh, we, we stay consistent with our one episode a week thing, so... Uh, not going to do How's Your Week section. Uh, if you want to check us out, we are on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Hopefully now, I mentioned this in the previous episode that I guess you would have listened to last week from when you're hearing this. Um, but anyways, I mentioned in the last episode, hopefully we will have video on Spotify now as well. I yes. think I, I think I figured out a way to where we can have the video on Spotify, and but if you didn't want the video, you can also still just do the audio on Spotify. So hopefully that's figured out by now if you guys want to look at video. But uh, those are the platforms you're on. Uh, Tanner, want to kick off our Mark Your Calendar section? Yeah, so again, uh, another reminder to mark your calendar for some things that are coming up for uh, the benefit of the kingdom uh, and ben your benefit uh, as a Christian to be encouraged. The first thing is the family rally at Grissom. We've mentioned that for several weeks now, and we'll continue, we'll continue to mention it, but it is October 27th through the 29th, and it is a thing for learning and hearing some good teaching and preaching and for encouragement. Uh, you know, So if you've got time in your calendar as the year kind of rounds up and you're feeling like you know this might be a weekend that I can go and get some encouragement, Check out, mark your calendar for October 27th through the 29th for the family rally at Chrisom. Even if you don't ha just have time in your calendar, I would encourage you, if you can, make some time for it. Um, these different these different fellowship events around our brotherhood are, are so important and, and so beneficial. I, I've just started kind of going to them myself recently this past year, and I'll tell you, it's just so encouraging to be around other Christians who are truly passionate about their faith and are active in their faith and bearing fruit. And it, it's just such a good time to, to fellowship with others, to, to grow in your faith and learn. And if, if you haven't been to something like this, I would really highly encourage you to, to try your best to make time in your calendar for it. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is kind of uh, for the same purpose, for some encouragement, but also for prayer for the world. I mean, it, it, they're going to be praying a lot of th about a lot of things at the National Prayer Clinic in Grundy, Virginia, uh, and that is before the rally at Grissom. It's October 10th through the 12th in Grundy, West Virginia. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, check that out. And then the last thing is the reminder about LBC. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode, which you heard a week ago, we just recorded. Uh, I'll, I'm going to try not to mention that every time we bring it up, but LBC, um, 
we mentioned in the last episode, they have just paid off their debt, which is a huge deal for them. That's going to allow the school to do a lot of great things for the students. It's going to allow the school to do a lot of great things for the staff that work there and the teachers that are, are that work so hard to help the students grow and understand the scriptures. So we want to, you know, promote LBC where we where we studied. Uh, it's a great school. Their next their winter spring semester will start January eighth or the fifteenth. If you're looking for a Bible college to to take some classes from, uh, whether you want to be in ministry or whether you just want to grow in your knowledge of the Bible so that your faith grows as a Christian, you know, check out LBC. Uh, not only does the winter spring semester start, but once a month at least they have module weekend modules. It's a uh, uh, sometimes it's a Thursday, Friday. That's pretty rare, but fr- normally it's Friday, Saturday. They have modules where you go and take a college class. It's like a two-day intensive, and um, but you can audit it, which means you can go and just learn. You don't have to turn any homework, or if you want to actually take the classes for credit and eventually learn a degree or earn a degree, you know, you can take it for credit, and uh, it is extremely affordable, and uh, we highly uh, endorse and recommend LBC Louisville Bible College. So with that, that's our marker calendars. Why don't we hop into Luke chapter five? Let's get into it. Luke chapter five, where we are getting through this this book <laughs> quickly. You know, week to week, quickly. Um, the verses for Luke chapter five, we go back down to thirty nine verses. Let me remind you all to read Luke chapter 5 as we continue in the context of the of the of the book itself. Remember that last week in Luke chapter 4 we covered the temptation of Jesus. Um, we covered his early preaching, we recovered how he was rejected by his hometown. Uh, we covered how some of his um, healing ministry, we covered some of his healing ministry, and we talked about how his mission right now, as we, in this moment of time, is to preach the kingdom of God, so that when the time comes that he fulfills his ultimate mission to be the Savior by dying on the cross, that we know how to enter the kingdom of God through his shed blood, through his sacrifice. So, Luke chapter 5, my chapter title for this one, uh, it's a pretty simple one. It is Calling Followers, because for Jesus to accomplish his, his mission while he was here on earth, one of the things he wanted to do was call some very specific followers that could start the church, really, when he, when he was gone, so that the gospel message would continue to be preached so that people would know this is who Jesus was and this is what he did. And um, so that people could join the kingdom of God and, you know, the kingdom of God being the church today. Absolutely. So uh, that's why I've titled this one Calling Followers. Pretty simple. Um, Another thing we could say is Seeking and Saving. Um, but that's kind of almost a subtitle of the main point of this chapter. So let's hop into these key thoughts. Uh, Again, we don't read every verse of the chapter. That would take a chunk of time that, uh, you know, we 
aren't trying to do that, but we are trying to go through each chapter and hit some key thoughts, some highlight points that uh, are very impactful to us as Christians and help us to bear fruit. So the first thing, verses 1 through 5. We, As we read through this, <clears throat> uh, the first thing that we see, or the first thing that I really noticed when reading it this week was the statement, In the first verse, it says, The crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God. Um, So the crowd surrounds him, and he gets to this boat later on in the verses where he gets to Simon's boat. You know, the crowd's like pushing him out into the lake almost. That's, And so instead of being completely surrounded by this big crowd, and he's like, on the bank, he hops in Simon's boat, they head out into the water, and they are not only hearing the word of God, but they are seeing the word of God with their eyes. Yeah. And so it it's kind of interesting, these first five verses, we see these people, and in, in more specifically Simon, or who we, most of us know as Peter, uh, is probably kind of sit is kind of here asking the question, okay, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And it's not because this is uh, for sure the first time they've met, but it's because Peter hasn't quite figured out who Jesus is, meaning he hasn't figured out yet that the person telling him to put his boat out into the water the person that is teaching with all this authority, like we talked about last week, is the Christ. And so, <clears throat> as I said, they are, the answer to the question, who is this Jesus, is answered in that first verse, they are listening to the word of God. Not only are they listening to the word, but they are seeing the word, because Jesus is the word that became flesh. So people wonder how he spoke with such authority. You know, the the in the last chapter, they his hometown asked the question, "Is this not the son of Joseph?" And they're wondering, you know, how does how does he have all this authority? What what gives him the right to even speak with all this authority? Well, that's because he is the very word that he's speaking, and him speaking with all this authority. It doesn't give the idea that he was just some some great speaker, um, and and his and the way he delivered his message. That's that's not what the idea of him speaking with authority is. But like when rabbis would teach, um, they, they would say things like uh, the rabbis say, or the law says, or, or even or God says. But we see Jesus teach and preach, and he doesn't say what well, other people say. He says, "I say to you," mm. yeah. and so he is speaking as if. He is the authority. He's not appealing to what other people have taught in the past. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm giving you something new here. This is what I'm saying and teaching. He is the, the very thing that he is, he is saying. And we learn, you know, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus was the Word, is the Word uh, of God. And so he is now the incarnate Word the word in flesh and so that is he is that's how 
that is his authority. And so Simon or Peter is probably a little bit confused about who this man is, you know, who Jesus is, telling him to go out from shore uh, so that he can preach, and then telling him to cast out his nets. You know, Peter says, Simon says, they've been fishing all night, and Jesus says, Jesus says, Go, go throw your nets out. I don't know if many of you listening to this are very big fishermen. Uh, Tanner and I, we like to fish a lot, and I've got two ponds within walking distance of my house, and we even have a little John boat we go out in sometimes in the bigger one. But the reason I bring this up is when it comes to fishing, it doesn't matter if you're freshwater, saltwater, wherever in the world you're fishing at, sometimes the fish just are not biting. <laughs> yeah, You can be out there for... 10 hours all through the day, morning, morning, midday, and evening, and it don't matter what kind of bait you use. It doesn't matter if you change your retrieval style, if you're bass fishing like we do a lot. or Sometimes it doesn't matter what in the world you do or try. You, they just aren't biting. They're, they're not hungry for <laughs> whatever you got that day. And I think this is where Simon is at here because, you know, they, they've been fishing for this long period of time, and they haven't caught anything. And then so Jesus goes and says to him, go out into the deep water and let your nets down. So if I'm if I'm Simon here, I'm probably not the happiest guy in the world. You've been fishing this this long time. You haven't caught anything. Getting skunked stinks. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you just wasted your time. You feel defeated like you're a bad fisherman. And so I just wanted to, to give you that perspective. If, if you guys don't do much fishing, me and Tanner both do some fishing quite a bit and it stinks to be skunked. So that's kind of where Simon is here. And not only that, that, this is his livelihood. This is how he makes his living. And so you've got Jesus coming up and say, go throw your nets out. And <laughs> Peter's like, I do this for a living. <laughs> it's not just a hobby like it is for us. He's actually doing this to to earn money to to live. Yet, yet like we said last <laughs> week, something was clearly different. And it was Jesus had authority. Mm. Um, And so Peter listens to him. And so we get on down through these verses a little bit. And we, you know, Jesus sends them out. They catch this great quantity of fish so much that the, the boats are sinking. I mean, a huge catch. Any fisherman ever that has ever existed would have been overjoyed and super excited it would have been the best fishing trip ever yeah i mean huge catch i can't even imagine catching so many fish that my boat starts to sink so it's super exciting and that's good and peter you know peter's you know excited but it's really interesting that this what should be excitement turns really quickly and so I want you all to see when good things happen, I want you to see how Peter responds. So the first thing Peter does when this good thing happens is in verse 8. So let's, let's read verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter immediately 
You know, he has this big catch, and it's exciting, but he immediately recognizes that the Lord deserves thanks, and he is immediately humbled, realizing who this man is. Well, he's realized he has full control over nature, and ordinary men can't do that. And he realizes this is this is the Lord, and so this is this is how we all should come before God. There is this there is these false doctrines taught today and there's this conception that people can just come before God expecting whatever they want like they deserve it. Too many people come before God expecting something from him like like they deserve it and nobody <laughs> we don't deserve anything from God. Yeah. Because we have rejected him in our sin and have disgraced him in our sin. And so, you know, people will offer a prayer and think that's enough, and, but the prayer is all focused on them and it's nothing about God and they don't live their lives for God, but they're expecting God to give them things or do things for them. And, I mean, it's just further disrespect when you do yeah. that. And I think there's something here that we can learn from Peter's attitude so I was talking a minute ago about, you know, Jesus says to him, go out into the deep water and, and lay your nets down for a catch. So listen to Simon's answer here. I'm going back back and forth between saying Simon and Peter. Yeah. It's, it's the same person. Uh, so he, this is how he answers him in verse 5. He says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. So the lesson we learn here is, is Simon Peter is beginning to to learn who Jesus is. He's he's beginning to see that he has this power over nature and he can make miracles happen. He he knows that Jesus has taught with all this authority and so it, he he's coming from a state of humility. He's a professional fisherman. He's worked hard all night and got not got a single fish. He's been skunked. But despite that, despite his hard work at a profession that he was more than capable of catching fish, he knew what he was doing. Despite all that, he says, I will do as you say and lay down the nets. So we see this attitude of humility. Not that, well, if the fish were going to bite, I deserve to catch them because I'm a pro and I know what I'm doing. Yeah. It wasn't a, it, he, that wasn't his mindset. His, his mindset came, came from a place of humility and saying, all right, Lord, I, I haven't been able to do this on my own, but I, I don't really think there's any way the fish will bite, but since you say so, I'll do it. I think we can learn a lot about that attitude when it comes to following what the Lord tells us to do. Yeah, so we have to, we should come before him in humility, and so many people, they don't do that. They come before God expecting something like they deserve it, and this is just, it's disrespectful to him, it's disrespectful to what he's done out of love for us. And so before God, you know, when, when we're coming before God, like Peter, we should clearly see our sinfulness and our limitations. And Peter, Peter does that. You know, he, he recognizes who Jesus is and this authority he has. And now he's recognizing all this power that he has. And in that Peter is recognizing 
I am a sinner and I have limitations and this man, the Lord, is far beyond me. Yeah. Um, and so if we don't see those things, if, if we think we're coming before God and we don't see our sinfulness and our limitations, then we're coming before a false God. Yeah. It reminds me of something we were talking about at school this week over at LBC. Um, it was in our Christian evidences class. So we were, we were talking about apologetics and, and such things and about how God is the creator. And so uh, shout out to Brian Schultz for this. Uh, he, he may be listening. Uh, so if you are, we appreciate you for this. But he said, before we ever relate to God as our savior, we have to learn to relate to him as our creator. Yeah. If we don't realize and recognize that God is our creator, and because of that, it puts him at a level of authority above us. He's the creator. We are the creation. And so we should humble ourselves before him and recognize that he has the authority over all things, including my life. If we don't relate to him as creator first, we're never going to be able to relate to him as our savior. We cannot worship God without recognizing our sinfulness and limitations first and realizing um, realizing what he's done for us because of our sinfulness and our limitations and all of these things. And again, if we don't see those things, we are worshiping a false god. We are not worshiping the god of the Bible. We are not worshiping the creator of this universe. Um, Absolutely right. Uh what else we see in response to Peter here coming to Jesus with this humility is also a lesson about Jesus is when people come before him in humility, you know, Jesus is merciful and he gives purpose to the humble. Mm. And, you know, we see that in verse 10. It says, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. Um, so Peter is now given purpose beyond his highest ambitions. He you know, he just had this insane the catch of his life. He <laughs> yeah. just had the catch of his life fishing with Jesus, and Jesus says, Now I'm giving you a purpose a new purpose, and this purpose is not even close to that big catch that he just caught. It is far greater. Yeah, there, there's something in life that is a little more important than catching fish. As much as I love to, on my free time, get my 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 bass rod or, or even my fly rod and, and go out and try to catch some largemouth bass or, or go and, and try to catch some rainbow and brown trout, I love to fish. Mm-hmm. But there is something a little more important, if you can't catch my sarcasm, a lot more important than catching fish, and that's catching men. And we see here, and, and a lot of translations say, uh, they don't say, from now on you'll be catching men, they'll, they'll say, from now on you'll be fishing for men. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of the same idea there, I'm not taking away from either translation, I was just hoping to clarify if you were like, where are they getting that from? The translation you're looking at might say, uh, "You will, from now on you'll be fishing for men, but that's one of the things I love about being a Christian. <laughs> There's many things I love about being a Christian, but one of the, the things I love about it is it gives us a purpose for our life. Yeah. 
that's something that people of all kinds and all religions or beliefs or thought systems, people in all cultures across all time, everyone has always wanted a purpose for life. Everyone has always wanted there to be something for them to do to make a difference in the world. And as Christians, our purpose isn't just something that makes a difference in this world. It's something that makes a difference on the world to come too for all of eternity. Not that we're going to be catching fish, that we're going to be catching men. And as we see in the next verse, that purpose is worth leaving behind everything else to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. Two times in this chapter, we see uh, Jesus calling people. Here, he's calling Simon and James and John. He says, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything. Get that phrase, they left everything and followed him to do that purpose of catching men. And we see the same thing down in verse 28. Um, I know we've got a lot to cover before we get down there, but just to go quickly, Jesus is calling Matthew. And in verse 28, it says, Matthew, he left everything behind and got up and began to follow Jesus. So as Christians, we have a purpose. And that purpose is to help as many other people as we can to find Christ, to to get them into the kingdom of God so that they can be saved. And and that that purpose is worth getting up and leaving everything else that we love about this world to do, even if it's catching some fish, yeah. which I love to do. And it's kind of want to bring this into it. Humility and love, they are they go hand in hand in in throughout scripture. And so if we love God, we're going to be humble before him. And if we love God, we are going to obey him and we're going to go after or or obey this this purpose that he's that he gives us as Christians, this new purpose. And not only does humility and love go hand in hand, but you can go ahead and throw trust in there too. Mm. Because it's hard to come it's hard to humble yourself before somebody and love somebody that you can't trust. Yeah. But we can trust Jesus. And in in fact we see in verses 12 through 14 Jesus is healing uh, a man with leprosy. Um and you know we could get into how uh, aggressive and, and horrible leprosy is, but that's not the point I want to get into. It's The question is, do you trust Jesus? And what we see here, you know, he's he this man with leprosy says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That isn't a question. <laughs> that is a That is a statement. I had the same thought when I read that. You can make me clean. So Jesus, and then Jesus says in, in verse 13, I am willing be cleansed. So he, he, he is saying, I am willing, and cleanses him. So the point is, Jesus is willing to heal and save. But do you trust him to do it? Mm. If you don't trust him, if you don't, if you aren't humble before him, if you don't love him, all of all of those things, then... He's not going to heal and save you. Well, the question is not only do we trust him to heal, cleanse, and save me and all of the, the sinful things that I've done in my life. Do we trust him to heal, cleanse, and save the people 
in our lives that we think might would never come to Christ and and be willing to accept the gospel and be saved? Do we trust the Lord enough and the power of His Spirit to to convict them, to to lead them to to want to be saved? And then, you know, the 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 last thing that he says to this man of leprosy, he says, "But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them." And I just thought it was really interesting. He first, this man first has to trust Jesus, but then Jesus wants him to obey. <laughs> and we were just talking about you know obeying this purpose that we've been given as Christians, and I just wanted to point out. Trust is only half of faith. You have to trust in him and obey. That It's not one or the other. And so trust is only half of, half of it. Yeah. Trust is only half of what Jesus expects from us. Faith without works is dead. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've said this before in the past. I'm not saying that by our works we are saved. That is not... My point, Jesus, the work that Jesus did on the cross is what saves us. But what he expects is faith, and part of that is trust and obedience. True, genuine faith always acts in obedience. Yes. So moving down to verse 16, it says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus, Jacob just... Uh, mentioned this in the last chapter. This is the the second time, right? Back-to-back chapters, we've seen this. And so, again, he is removing himself for this time by himself, but not just by himself, with the Father to pray, to gather his thoughts. And from these last two chapters, this this has probably been the most challenging thing for me just just to deal with and wrestle with in my own life because I don't do a good enough job at doing this thing that we see Jesus doing of carving out time in my life out of all the busyness to make times to be alone to pray. You know, we, we, we pray before our meals. We pray b- before bed. Sometimes we, we pray in the morning to start our day, driving to work. We have some regular times of prayer, but do we really carve out times to go be alone and, and pray other than just habitual prayers that we do all the time? That's something that I can't say I do enough. And and so when I've, this, is, this has really hit me in back-to-back chapters. We see an example of Jesus getting away from the crowds, getting away from, from the busyness. And the busyness is, is good things. It's not that, Jesus is busy wasting his time with doing a bunch of whatever. It's, you know, the busyness he's a part of is is preaching and teaching and and healing people and casting out demons and and calling people to follow him. You know, these are good things that he's busy with, but he also intentionally takes time to get away from all of the good things he's doing to do the best thing that he needs to do to to get away, to have time with God, to pray. And and I need to do that more. And and, and not only says that he did it again, but it says he would often slip away and do this. And You, you know, know, something else that tells me, that word often, I think a lot of times 
we view prayer, whether we would want to say it or not, as a last resort effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't know what to do. We, we've tried everything else, and it's like, all right, God, I couldn't handle it on my own, and the first six people that came into my mind that could maybe help me with this problem couldn't help me, so now I'm going to pray about it. Yeah. It, prayer is not a last resort. It should be our, our first primary reaction to when situations come up and we don't know what to do or something big is coming up or just whatever the situation is, don't use prayer as a last resort effort. Jesus often would slip, slip away to the wilderness to have time to pray. So let, let, let's try to imitate that in our lives. And what else I think is very interesting about what this teaches us is we realize, you know, we, we have to think back a couple chapters. We talked about how Luke is pointing out to, he's writing to Gentiles, and he's pointing out Jesus is human, and he deals with the same things that we deal with as a human. Mm. And so we see in this, you know, this going away often to, slipping away often to the wilderness to pray is because Jesus is dealing with human struggle. And he has to rely on the Father. You know, he keeps going to the Father because he's working through many of the struggles that we work through. Um, if, if there was ever a man or, or or just a person, I'm not just talking about men. Yeah. If there was ever a person that was strong enough in their faith to go through life without needing to pray and rely on God, it would have been Jesus. But we see him... Back-to-back chapters, slipping away to the wilderness to pray. Just just think about that. If there was ever a person that was strong enough in their faith that they didn't need to constantly rely on God through prayer to help them through life, it would have been Jesus, but that's not the case that we see. I mean, imagine what it was like for him to constantly be around so many people both people that wanted him for good reasons, but also people trying to discredit him. Yeah. And always feeling this immense pressure of his mission. And, you know, he he had to have been overwhelmed. I mean... I couldn't imagine. I go out... I go to the store, and I, I've changed a lot since I was younger. But as I get older, the, when there's more people around, it just sets me on edge. Social battery runs out quick. Oh, absolutely. I'm the same way, man. So imagine imagine Jesus, all of these people around him all the time, and and this this pressure of his mission, but what he did to settle those feelings is, is he took time to thank the Father, he took time to rest, and settle those overwhelmed feelings, settle that anxious feeling, and he did that by going away to pray, relying on the Father. Looking further down, the the uh, chapter five. Uh, I just want to. He, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees come up again. One day, I'm gonna do some lessons or some sermons on the sins of the Pharisees. I think that'll be uh, an interesting on thing. the sins of the Pharisees. The sins said? of the Pharisees. Um, when you planning on doing that one? I don't know. I, that, that's something that really intrigues me, though. It would take some time to to study. Well, but. you're gonna have to let me know. I'm not too far from Glenesty. I, <laughs> I'll have to 
drive up the road a little bit and hear you for that one. But that that that's in the that's in the future. But anyway, uh, verses seventeen through twenty six, we really see that Jesus continues over and over again to prove his messiahhood, that he is the savior. And um, I say that because you see the news of Jesus was now widespread. We see in verse 17, it says, And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, but not only that, and Judea and from Jerusalem. So the news of Jesus was spreading fast. It was now widespread and had reached the high Jewish leaders um, in Galilee and also in Judah and Jerusalem. So... You know, that's where many of the high Jewish leaders were located, and they're they're now coming to see, okay, who is who is this guy that we're hearing about? Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that the spirit or the power of God uh, is was working in the Son, the Word of God. Um, we see that in let's see what verse is that that it says that I'm trying to look for it quickly. Um, I wrote about, oh, verse, oh, 17 again. The power of the Lord was present f- for him to perform healing. Um, so again, you know, the spirit, the power of God was working in the sun. And, you know, as God, he has the power to forgive. And this is really what the Pharisees begin to question him of yeah. here in these verses. Um, but again, forgiving sins, he is proving that he is the Savior. Again and again and again. The only way that Jesus could forgive sins and not be sinning in doing so is if he really was God. So if we're going to place our faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, we've got to realize here, Okay, he's he's saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. After he, he sees the faith and he, he forgives sins, the Pharisees get all mad and they're like, this guy can't be doing this, this is blasphemy. Only God can say that they're going to forgive sins. But that's the thing they're, they're going to hopefully come to learn about Jesus. Some of them may, some of them probably won't. Is that, yeah, they are looking God in the face, in the flesh. Yeah. So, uh, two Two things. To point out here, number one, genuine faith is visible. We were just talking about faith. We're talking about how it, you know trust, trust and obedience. You know, if if you really have faith, there is going to be action behind it. Yep. And we see here, Jesus, see it, at the verse twenty. It said, literally says, seeing their faith, he said, "Friend, your sins are forgiven." Um, faith can be seen. This is not an invisible thing, and, you know, we talked weeks a couple weeks back about how faith is built upon truth. Yeah. If faith wasn't built on truth, it would be something that is not seen because it wouldn't produce anything. Hmm. But because it's built on truth, because it sh- produces action, faith is something visible that God sees— and that other people should see, and it should have an impact on them. And in faith, 
Jesus forgives. And if other people can't see our faith, maybe we have some reevaluating to do. Yeah. Uh, the other side, the other side of this, or the other thing I wanted to point out is it, the statement that Jesus says, "Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven, or to say, get up and walk?" Now, when you look at that, being as we are, it is technically more words <laughs> to say your sins are forgiven than to get up and walk. It is, it is uh, two more words to say. <laughs> so when we look at it that way, it is not easier for someone to say your sins are forgiven as opposed to get up and walk, okay. especially if you're of the, the um, that old adage work harder, not smarter, or work smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> you, like love, you love that one. I do. That is not what Jesus is saying here when he says, which is easier. He's not saying that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's less words, because clearly there's not less words. So what, what does this mean? Well, the reason Jesus does this in order is, this is, this is really a wisdom thing on, on his behalf, but we gotta we gotta remember what is the purpose of these miracles. The purpose of the miracles is to prove that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that is the sa- the living Word of God that saves. And therefore, he can forgive sins. Right? That's what they're. That's what the Pharisees are questioning. How can this man forgive the sins? So the healing proved that he was the Christ and could forgive. Mm. So this was easier for Jesus to do in this order because just like all the other miracles, it it then made it easy to prove he was the Christ by healing the man after forgiving the guy. Um, you know, so his miraculous healing of, of this guy who, who couldn't get up and walk proves that he can forgive sins because if he's able to heal this guy just by saying, get up and walk, no, your average Joe could not do that. No. But one of the Pharisees couldn't look at him and say, all right, dude, get up and walk. And that, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But if there was hypothetically a man that was also God, he, he probably could say, get up and walk, bud. You're, you're going to be all right. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is fully man while also being fully God, and he proves that. And and so that's that's kind of his it's it's a kind of a witty, funny kind of a response <laughs> the way I see it to the Pharisees here, of them saying them saying, You can't say you forgive sins. Oh yeah? Well, let me prove it to you. I am God. And and that's exactly right. Jesus is proving here he is he is the Son of God and um, proving that he's the son of God shows, you know, I, he has the power to forgive sins. Uh, and so it's done in that order for that reason. And wh- while we're talking about this section here, I, I just, I always love this this passage, and I love to point this out when we're talking about this paralyzed man that was healed. I, I like to take a look at his four friends. They went to some great lengths yeah. to get their their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus? You know, they they get him on this this bed. Uh, I almost imagine it kind of like a, a stretcher or maybe like a, a little cot, and they lower him in through the roof, and 
Jesus sees their faith that they they believed so much that Jesus could heal and and forgive and save this man from his state that they were willing to lower him in through the roof just to get him to Jesus and then Jesus heals him and saves him so this this always brings me to think what lengths do I go to to get my friends to Jesus the ones that I know they need to be cleansed they need to be healed maybe they're not paralyzed with it like this guy in like this guy is but maybe they have something worse than being paralyzed in this body maybe they are spiritually dead and they're and they're lost in their sins what length am i willing to go to to get them to Jesus it's just something to ponder on yeah i mean these guys these four friends they didn't just invite the guy to church which is typically what we think of as evangelism today. Yeah. Let's just invite them to church. They'll Maybe they'll figure it out. No, they brought the dude to Jesus. Are we bringing people to Jesus, or are we taking Jesus to people so that Jesus has the opportunity to actually change their lives? Or are we just inviting them to come to church and maybe saying a little prayer that we don't really mean? Um, you know, these guys took action and they went after it and they got their friend to Jesus. That's a lesson we all need to learn from. That's kind of been a theme through this whole chapter is our purpose as Christians. And we see we're not called, we're not called to just, uh, fish for fish. We're called to be fishers of, and catchers of men. And if we're going to do that, if, if we, if we really believe in a heaven and a hell and that, both places last forever and people who are in Christ are going to heaven and people who are outside of Christ are going to hell. And there are people in our life that we know are outside of Christ. There shouldn't be anything in this world that would prevent us from doing everything that we can to get them to Christ. We can't force them to accept. That's, that's between them and Jesus. But what we can do is make sure they have every opportunity while they have the chance to repent and and obey the gospel, we can make sure they have every opportunity. That's our part in it. Yeah. After all these healings were, or this healing was done, they, the scripture says in verse 26, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. We fear what we don't understand. And I know several people have probably heard that phrase before. We fear what we don't understand. Sometimes fear of what we don't understand pushes us away from things and we don't want to be near it. We want nothing to do with it. Our fear, we we should let our fear of what we don't understand when it comes to God bring us to respect him, uh, not fear him and hate him. Mm. because there are some things that we don't understand, but there are a lot of things that he has shown shown us, proven to us that are true. And because of those things, the, the, the things that we don't understand should just encourage the, the truth that we know that he's given us. Um, now, we're going to 
get to jump to verses 30 through 37. We said at, in the intro of the podcast when we introduced Luke that the point of this whole book was found in Luke 19.10 where it says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And right here we see Jesus speaking to that purpose to the Pharisees. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't come to praise the perfect. He says, the um, let's see, they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, "Is it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come to praise the perfect. Mm. He came to save sinners. And a person must recognize. You know, we, we talked about this with Peter, recognizing who Jesus was. People, a person must recognize they are a sinner, they must recognize they must recognize that they're a sinner before they can ever be healed. If you don't realize you're a sinner, how can you be healed from your sin? Yeah. Um we aren't going to change without Jesus. And he makes us perfect through faith. He makes I, I really like that phrase to call the righteous but righteous but sinners to repentance. I like that phrase because it, it shows us that he is the one that makes repentance even possible. Yeah, it, it's it's really like a picture of what the church should be today. It's not a gathering of people who are all self-righteous and say, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm better than everyone else because I'm a Christian. It's, it's not Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. That, that's who the church is made up of, is a bunch of people who were once sinners— but now they've repented. They've changed their mind, and it changed their actions. Now they're obedient to Christ, and he has forgiven them. Not that they never sin ever again, but that they have been forgiven, and as they continue to, to live in Christ and, and live a life of repentance, that they're humbled, knowing that the only reason they even can repent or have a chance to repent is because of the mercy of the Lord. So Jesus is proving throughout this chapter again and again throughout this book, you know, that he's the Savior. He came to seek and save the lost. And the Pharisees, he's proving it in front of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are trying to discredit him over and over again. And, you know, they, they say, after he responds this way, he sa- they say, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. And so the Pharisees are trying to, like, point out flaws mm. or point out that, Jesus and his disciples aren't... They're not very spiritual. They're not very spiritual, exactly. But you see, what's interesting is fasting was associated with sorrow, something sorrowful. And John's ministry, you know, John's ministry was characterized by sobriety and by strenuous living. So, you know, John's disciples, they they, they would... Following his footsteps, they were they were they were fasting, um, relying on the Lord in in their sobriety and in in their strenuous living. The Pharisees they lived a rigor, rigorous life for the wrong reasons. 
<laughs> they were trying to be seen by people, and so they fasted for show. You know, did the same thing with prayer too. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't like Jesus, and they went off to a solitary place to pray, but they would go pray out loud in the middle of the public for all people to hear, all besides God, that is. So the Pharisees are pointing out, you know, these fast this fasting that they that they do that is is so spiritual that makes them so much better. <laughs> and then Jesus responds. And his point in all of this is again, he came to seek and save. This so he's he is here on earth and I said before fasting was associated with sorrow. Jesus is with them. He, he is right in front of them. So Jesus' point in all this is that this is a time of celebration. Because while Jesus is here, while as he is actively showing that he came to seek and save, this is a time not for sorrow, but for celebration. Yeah, The Son of God is right here before us. The Christ, the one, the promised Messiah that came to save humanity is right here. This is a time of celebration, not a time for fasting, not a time for sorrow. And the other thing we see as we look at this, the parable that he kind of wraps up the chapter with is his gospel that he's preaching. You know, the Pharisees were so caught up in, in the old covenant and the way that they felt they should do things, the way that the hypocritical way that they did many things that they couldn't see that God was fulfilling the old law and bringing about this new covenant through Jesus, and his gospel is of this new covenant. The gospel that Jesus is preaching is of this new covenant that's being established, and it can't be forced into this old covenant. It's it's going to be something different. It's going to be something that fulfills that old law, not is a part of that is not in it. Jesus didn't come to just patch up the old covenant and fix it and tweak a couple things and leave most of it the same, but he came to establish a completely new covenant. Mm -hmm. And and we see him teaching that here in the parables at the end, but we see that not only is the new things better than the old things, not only is the new covenant better than the old covenant, but the new and the old do not go together. You can't, take out the little piece of the old covenant and then put in the new and, and make it in. It, that's not what Jesus came to do. It fulfills it, and that means it's finished. And the new covenant is with Jesus and what he preached, that that message that he was preaching as he came to seek and save the lost. Absolutely. And so the Jews, like many people today, you know, they were reluctant to change their life for the better. Um, they were reluctant to drop everything and follow him like we saw a few different people do in this chapter. And so they stuck with the old because they thought it was good enough. Uh, Jesus says the old is good for, uh, he says, and no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. That's is him saying they thought it was good enough, but it, but it's not. We know that Jesus teaches, and uh, later on, he is the way, the only way to enter the kingdom of God, which he is preaching. And there is no better way than the way. 
No better way. There is no way but the way. Not just no better way, but no way other than the way, which is Jesus Christ. You're spot on. That is that kind of wraps up chapter five. You got anything else to add? Um, no, I think we did well. I I really like going through that chapter. That was so some good stuff, some challenging things for me uh, in my personal life and faith. So definitely have some some things I need to be having on my mind and in my practices this week for sure. So I appreciate you going through it with me, man. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you know. Guys, our goal with this podcast is to grow so that we can better bear fruit for Jesus, to prove to be his disciples. Preach the kingdom of God as Jesus did, and preach the way, the only way. Preach Jesus to people so that, like me and Jacob and the other Christians listening to this, so that they can enter the kingdom so that they can enjoy the the hope and the and the purpose and the promises that that we find in these scriptures the four friends went so far to bring their paralyzed buddy down through the through a hole in the roof to get him to Christ what links are we going to go to this week for the people in our lives that we know need Jesus again guys thank you for listening it is uh, a privilege that we even have the time and the opportunity to go through the scriptures like this. Um, it's been super a super blessing for me, and I've, I've learned a lot, and I hope you guys are, are learning and growing with us. So thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you. Leave a like or comment or ask questions. Don't forget to hang out with us next week. Jesus indeed saves. Jesus indeed saves. May grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.